Chris Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shep Tech Show. I'm Dave, overweight and overage. Rupert with me is Chris, the one who never misses. Coy. How are you, Chris? <laughs> good, 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 good. I'm afraid that oh, you've yeah. shipped your back problems over to me. Thank oh, God. really? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's not bad. It's just it's a little stiff down there. And then I go to the gym because I'm like, yeah, you know what? You know what it takes to be healthier? You you know, you eat right and you go to the gym and then you're healthier, you know? And lately, I've been mm-hmm. like, every time I go to the gym, I'm like, oh, my back. And every time I don't go to the gym, I'm like, oh, I feel good. Limber. <laughs> I, I When I was having back problems and I was sharing it on Twitter, of course, that's what I do. Why would you share your personal health on Twitter? But I do. Um, you know, people were like, Hey, you should come deadlift with me. And I just was like, duck. No, (laughs) no, there's that sounds the opposite of what I want to do. I know I probably need to do that to like strengthen my, whatever my, Oh, I, yeah, there's truth on both sides. Like while you're in pain, no, but after you've (laughs) kind of chilled it out and to strengthen it, sure, you know. And I think there's a little bit of, like, counterintuitive just, too, that I think some of your, like, chest and core and front side stuff are what's necessary to strengthen to to reduce the load on your back. Yeah, it's the, like, how do I fix my back? Uh, I don't know. Sit-ups is probably the answer. Like, I just, you know, it's it's guts or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how do you fix your... Your front end. Fix your back end, you know? Yeah. How do you fix yeah, your back sh- end? Fix your front end. Yell at each Have other. Have less stuff. <laughs> less it. stuff. You there you go. There is a, yeah, I like But it. what I don't like, so we've talked about health stuff here. What I don't like about the health, the big, uh, the health industrial complex, I'm going to call it, is, is it's like, oh, hey, Dave, you want to be healthy? Yeah, I want to be healthy, health industrial complex. Yeah, you got to starve yourself, man. You just got to eat peanuts for the next eight weeks. And it's like, that doesn't sound fun, health industrial complex. Why would I I have to hurt myself to like get healthy? Yeah, you have to hurt yourself. And then lift these big weights and they'll tear your muscles. But then your body uses the energy to rebuild those muscles. And that's how you get healthy, Dave. You injure yourself. And I'm just... That sounds terrible. There's why why does getting healthy re, re, like require so much self-injury? I don't get it. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I don't know. I feel you. I feel you. There's everybody's got an answer to this though, you know. I remember at when I used to go to fat camp more. I still miss it, but not with a family. It's harder to go. They had this concept called like volumetrics or something. I think that's what it was called. And the idea was that you're still, you're eating this big pile of food. It feels like a huge meal, but you've designed it such that it's still, you might as well be eating peanuts, you know? Yeah. It's just lots of greens and stuff in there. It was kind of a cool concept, but pulling it off is, is harder than it looks, you know? Well, and you can have spinach for about five days and then you're like, that was enough spinach for <laughs> quite possibly the year. That was enough. Yeah. That was, it's good. I like spinach. I like greens, uh, collards and kale, but uh, you, you, about five days of that. Woo buddy. That was good. I'm don't need that name more. So, <laughs> next quarter. Oh, uh, let's talk about, um, here's a good one from, from Daniel Hughes or Hewis or something. Uh, do you, uh, what are your thoughts on Tailwind CSS? Previously, I've been using Bootstrap for many years, but since switching to Tailwind about a year ago, um, the time to build our front end 
you know, based on a design comp, has become considerably quicker. You build strong muscle memory for the class names, and the plugin system is great. Bonus that the CSS class names are purged, heavily reducing the CSS file size. I'd love to hear your guys' take on this. I think you described it pretty well, Daniel. Uh, if people haven't heard of Tailwind, I, the you know it comes in that I, I guess atomic CSS bucket or functional classes. So you put class name, literally class names, on every single element, and they're kind of single use. So you're just through a class name, you're describing the color, and then a different class name, you're describing the padding, and a different class name, you're describing the width or something, or the fact that it's a flex parent. And then there's yet more classes for how, if you want that to only apply at a particular breakpoint. So when you're looking at a Tailwind code base or whatever, uh, whatever you want to call it, each element has kind of a lot of classes on it, you know, like a lot, a lot, you know, like tens, dozens, you know, it's just kind of the, the nature per of element, the beast. Like, like, like you go down the tree of things. Right, like, right, 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 right. Everything has like minimum probably five classes on it. Or sure. And if you've, if you, I don't know, if you've been around long, if you, that's just, a, you've never seen that and you've never worked in that way, I think the required initial reaction to that is like disgust, you know, especially if you've, you know, heard the advice of your where it was like you know don't do that that's bloat that's the that's the combination of of styling and semantics that we've tried to avoid for so long and tailwind kind of reinvents that or i shouldn't just say tailwind because there's been a this has been a movement for years and years now there's just a lot of developers that really like this way to work so i want to say up front I literally don't care how you build a website. You know, like I like to be helpful. I like to talk about building websites. I like to talk about trade-offs. All that stuff is so fun to me, but fundamentally, I don't care how you do it individually. I just don't. You can do whatever the hell you want, especially if you're productive and happy doing it. And I see so many people using Tailwind who are productive and happy doing it. So I just want to make that clear. I'm the last person to, to rain on your parade of loving this. I have tried it. I tried to redo my personal blog using it, and I don't have the muscle memory yet, and it just wasn't doing it for me. One reason for that is that um, I kind of like um, this concept of like CSS injection, like you write some CSS and you hit save and then something puts it on the page that you, doesn't require a, a page reload. It just feels fast, you know, and you get that with Tailwind, if you're in a situation like you're using a hot module reloading, like you're using Vue or React or one of these fabrics frameworks where that comes along for the ride because of the tooling that you're using, mm -hmm. that you would get that. But you normally don't get that when you change HTML. You know, when you change HTML on a page, you can't live inject that normally. So you're in this thing where now you're writing Tailwind, but the the whole page is refreshing because my site's just like a WordPress site or something. So I think you need some friends with Tailwind to make it to make it palatable in a way, and yeah, that like, uh, you know you're already using a friend because you wouldn't want to ship all of Tailwind. Or, or the point is that you kind of. I think it's a little confused because some people are like, all oh, these Tailwind sites look the same. Like, yeah, I guess if you use it off the shelf, but they do try to encourage you to customize it. It's a configurable product. Those class names that you apply to things, 
they don't say padding 20 pixels. They say like padding medium, and you can configure what padding medium means to, to your mm-hmm. site. So it's all very configurable. So the fact that they all look the same, it's like, yeah, you're just using it off the shelf, and I guess that's why. They also have this thing called Tailwind UI, which is like a pre-built component tree that has all the classes on it already. And I suppose if you use that off the shelf, again, things will look very much the same. So I I get why this is kind of confusing to people. It's a little confusing to me, honestly. Yeah, I I think you summed it up. Like like you described the landscape really well. And it's a great project. Like, uh, and if you do, like you're saying, feel productive, like that's awesome. I'm actually working on a Tailwind project right now, so I can't talk specifics, but because uh, mm-hmm. it's client stuff. But, um, but you know, I can talk about about utility CSS in general. Um, like, I, I like a a handful of utilities, like spacing and padding or heading sizes and stuff like that. I like some utilities in my CSS library, um, but I, I don't know that I'm a hundred percent gung ho about the uh, we're doing everything in utilities. And that's maybe like my old brain, like, <laughs> but, but I think specifically, you know, if you want to change the behavior of a component or extend or something like, like um, a theme or something like that in tailwind, you have to go through and write, rewrite all the classes, or maybe you did some sophisticated like configuration or something, but you have to go through like, I want dark theme. Oh, okay. I like apply a dark theme, but then I got to go and make all my text white. You know, I got to go through every single element and make the text white, or I guess figure out where in the cascade I can make all the text white. Again, not, not the end of the world, but for me, it just, it puts a lot of weight on the, the templating on the HTML. You have to like start putting if statements and stuff in there to like, you know, start like making the templates, especially like in a CMS where you click a button or something like that. You're putting a lot of weight on the CMS or on the templating just to like do this, where in like regular, regular CSS, I could just say like dark, like whatever, my component dash dark. And, and I can use the cascade to like write overrides. And maybe that dark is only like a few lines of code or something like that. And so I just, for me, that's a little bit easier than like making my templates a little more complicated, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you've said in the past that, that this kind of thing is like, if you're styling something, the complexity lives somewhere. It mm-hmm. just does. So to pick it up and move it from one place to another place doesn't remove the complexity. It just moves where it lives. So I don't think, you know, there is no styling solution that just removes complexity. I can't tell you if you use Tailwind, then styling is easier. It's just different. You know, you may be dodging some complexity because you didn't have to write any CSS and that was awesome. Um, But now you have to like write all the HTML classes. And uh, for me, it makes it a little harder to work. If you're working in components, like maybe it's less hard because you're like, I only care about this component right now. Um, So maybe it's not actually harder, but like, uh, I, sometimes when I jump into a file that has a bunch of classes, I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed. I'm just like, what is going on here? Mm. You know? And there's a little bit of divitis. I, I don't want to like, that's maybe splitting hairs, but you know, just to like get something to style correctly, you might need to chuck an extra div in there or something. But. Mm. 
Another thing I've heard people say is that, you know, like Daniel said here, that there's some muscle memory to it and that, let's say, a whole company adopted this for all their projects, that the ability to jump around from project to project and maintain that muscle memory is strong. So I'd say that's a bonus. And the idea that, um, like you said, you're not really writing any CSS, so you're relying on this tool chain to like have all these classes available. So in development, you just go buck wild and use whatever you want, and then have the build process step be like, oh, I see what they're using here. They're only using these, say, 78 classes. I'm going to produce a style sheet that only has those 78 classes in it, which is probably a tiny fraction of the, the whole library. So there is this like performance benefit to it and that you're shipping um, style sheets that are pr- honestly probably a lot smaller than the style sheets I ship. I don't have a huge yeah. problem with the performance of style sheets, but it, it is significant. Um, the The size of a style sheet, often CSS is linked up in the head. It's a blocking resource. Like the HTML parser gets to that link tag, it finds that style sheet, it starts downloading that style sheet, and it's also saying, do not render anything until I have the style sheet ready to rock for you. So that's a significant type of resource. We're not really lazy loading or or that kind of thing for style sheets. They're they're kind of too important for that. And so that's a big deal. The smaller your style sheet in the head, that's that's a that's a performance boost. Well, and if you can even take that a step further and you figure out your critical CSS, you can inline stuff in the head, you know? And so that's kind of cool too. Like there's, so that's just maybe an argument for like vanilla, more vanilla CSS. I'm sure somebody's written like tailwind critical CSS dot NPM dot com or whatever. But um, I, you know, like I think what you're saying too is like, like, when when you buy Tailwind, you don't buy it. I guess you buy Tailwind UI, but when you buy buy Tailwind, you're you're also buying this purge CSS flow, or hopefully you should be like right. And but even the Tailwind sort of like there's a there's you know you have to use a post CSS plugin I think or Tailwind kind of has a post CSS plugin. So like there's. It comes with the tool chain, is all I'm saying. I mean, SAS is also a tool it chain. It does. But, and you got it's a tool chain that you have to be hyper aware of what it's doing and how it's doing it. For example, on CSS Tricks right now, I one of the things that happens is that I write my own little Ajax request to my own server um, that says get these ads. And it actually runs three different Ajax requests. I, I when the when the page loads, it hits my own server and says, get the ads that I've hand-coded into this file, and then hit the ad server and get how many ads they have and combine them. And then if there's too few, hit this other ad server and fill up the spots with what you get from that. So it's like my own sold ads and a network sold ads plus a backfill if there's too few, right? And so it gets mm-hmm. these and it templates them using, you know, an H, just like like a backtick tag, you know, template literals, mm-hmm. and then plops them onto the page. And it all happens pretty fast and, and you know, whatever. It's like that's just, it's an it's a ad network approved way of doing this. So where does purge CSS look to find those class names? 
is it go is it do I say look at all my PHP files and get the class names that you find out of it or look at my JavaScript templates and find it all this is it going to know to look in the right places to find the class names within this random template literal on some random.js file? Is it finding those two? Maybe it is and maybe it is, but I, I think you'd I've read that you kind of need to train it to where to look and stuff. Because if mm-hmm. I just start using new Tailwind classes then in that template literal, maybe Purge CSS doesn't know they exist. Maybe it's going to make a style sheet then that's missing some classes that I need for those. And then, I'm, you know, that just buys you a little technical debt. A little like, oh no, I got to manually teach this thing about where to look or manually teach it to automatically include these class names because I know that I'm going to need them or something. And that... Might be a problem you don't discover until the bun the production bundle gets generated too. So there may be a gotcha right, there, right? Because on it's, dev again, it doesn't do that. Yeah, but again, I, I like I'm trying. I'm Dave Rupert, twenty twenty, trying to be open minded. Um, like I, I think I realized like it's not my favorite thing, but I definitely see like the advantages. And like you said, like you know, if somebody's they have four or five apps all using this, like they're leveraging a communal knowledge. You know, like. Tailwind provides that communal or the framework it provides the like established pattern. And that's probably very valuable to your company. And that's the situation when my, my clients is in just, you know, their app is written using Tailwind. So we should make the like marketing site written in Tailwind. That's, that's an easy, easy call. Like that's interesting. So yeah. We'll just, We'll just use it. I like to be dragged into things too, don't you? Like, yeah, I'm on a project. I don't get to make the technical choices. So I'm being forced, force exposed to some things. So whether I like it or not, I'm going to do it. I kind of, sometimes I end up resenting it and sometimes I like it because I'm like, well, I would never would have had that experience if I wasn't because I'm not the leader of this project. I'm just on it. Yeah. 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 I mean, that would be like, it's kind of, kind of nice to just whatever. Get an experience. Like, you're just like, okay. Well. What about the, like, being told, like, you know, I think we have lots of evidence. We've probably mentioned this many times in the history of the show that there's developers, including us in this, that like to just be told what to do. You know, there's the, the, the classic is Rails, you know, just like there's a Rails way to do things. So you just do it that way. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and, that can be awfully nice because you buy in a lot of benefit from that. You can hop around projects. Do you think there's an element of that here too? That there's not with just raw CSS, it's just an open hippie fest. Do whatever you want in this file. But with Tailwind, you have to do things a certain way or it doesn't work. It is. It's a, it's a blank canvas, you know, the empty CSS file is a blank canvas, like quite almost quite literally, like you apply every style that goes on the canvas, you know, um, a whereas like a tailwind or something it's like that's like I, I don't even know like a spirograph or like stencils or something you know it's like it's like pre kind of designed way of doing something or like pre it's an instruction it's ikea or something mm-hmm. like you you're able to like okay i just need to do this and this and this to get the job done that's great that makes my life easier i can respect that like mm-hmm. like go go do that um and I think any of these, I think that's what frameworks offer. You know, Rails was like, hey, every time everyone makes an app, they do these 10 things. Like, we're just going to solve these 10 things, like how to fetch data, how to render data, how to, you know, do that in the same way, how to whatever, connect to your database, do the routing, you know, the server routing. Um, you'll never have to touch an Apache config again. <laughs> or whatever. Like, Rails kind of did that, and that was great, you know. Um, 
Uh, so I think there's like establishing conventions of ways to do things. That's pretty awesome. I'm a big fan um, mm. of, of conventions and stuff like that. So, you know, I think too, there's, you know, there's maybe like this idea, like some people just want a shortcut, you know? And, and again, I, I'm kind of like, there are no shortcuts. <laughs> like your, your complexity is going to live somewhere, but some people just want a shortcut and it, it might feel like a shortcut for a while. It's like, you know, I just install this and like, I can just write, I don't even have to worry about CSS and that removes one trouble from my life. And you know what? That's great. Uh, it, the HTML gets a little muddy, but whatever. <laughs> I'm only going to be here for six months or something now. Uh, but like the H, there's a lot of HTML now, but you know what? It's better than dealing with a lot of CSS. So, you know, mm. that's for some people, that's probably a good trade off. Yeah, so. it probably feels great. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Wireframe. Wireframe is another podcast that you're sure to like. So whether you're into UX, UI, technology, just curious about the way that design impacts our everyday lives, you should check out Wireframe. The host is great. It's Koi Vin. You know Koi? Subtraction.com, a blogger that I totally look up to, an amazing designer, you know, is kind of behind a lot of grids on the web, has a book about that, has this whole history at the New York Times. Now he's the senior uh, director of design at Adobe. And this podcast is brought to you by Adobe, and they're really putting everything into it. It's super well done. You know, I hope you like this show, but, you know, largely it's Dave and I, and we hit record and hit stop and make sure it's polished up and put it out there. And it's just this conversation between Dave and I and an occasional guest. But we don't spend, like, weeks planning a show and storyboarding it and getting the perspective of 10 people and putting it together with amazing sound design and all this stuff. You know, that, that those kind of podcasts podcasts are like on another level. This is one of those podcasts that are is like on another level. So as much as I want you to listen to this show, I'm sure you already listened to some shows that are like in that category of like super good. This is in that category of super good. I just listened to one uh, that was so great in season three called Why Can't Dad Unmute Himself on Zoom? And it talks about like the fact that he can't, the fact that you have to help do that is a design problem. And it's just a very interesting one. So, so if I recommend any episode episode. Check that out. Just search for Wireframe in your favorite podcast app, and there'll be a link, of course, in the show notes to it. Thanks so much to Wireframe for the sponsorship. Andrew Sype, and he says, when I attempt to build a site from scratch, I get overwhelmed. Are there resources that have all the components, layouts, you know, et cetera, but allow me to put the parts together myself, like a box of Legos? You can follow the instructions and build what's on the cover, or you can deviate and build a few smaller sites uh, or go to you know a completely different site. When I start with a blank, blank slate, I find myself going down a wormhole of websites looking for resources, components, inspiration, or reading about all the different ways you can build a site that I never actually build anything. So that blank canvas thing is uh, is a little rough for Andrew. I would mention that. Hey, why don't you go first? Yeah. So, like, what do you do for inspiration when you got a blank canvas? I mean, yeah, and like, what what are the things that are like Lego blocks to? <laughs> if you if you're like absolutely screwed by that, like, is there a? I don't know, a Lego blocks of web development. I mean, so the place where I start, like always. I mean, if you're stuck or have like no ideas, like, uh, you know, if you just pull out like paper, like graph paper, and just sketch 
an idea like like the the distance from sketch to css grid is so low like you can just you can take a sketch if you did it on graph paper it's almost quite literally just count the number of squares you drew and render out the graph you know like i just i don't know maybe i'm not uh not saying it doing it very well but i don't know I'm, I'm not doing this question justice. I don't know. I can tell you about my experience when I was a, a super beginner is that I started with WordPress and I installed the thing and I had a WordPress theme and now I have a site. It's doing all the stuff I want it to do. And now uh, all that's on me is getting content in there, deciding if that design works for me or how I can change that design. I was really into the design stuff, you know. It read a blog mm-hmm. post, sure, but I thought it'd be fun to make the site do, look how I wanted it to look. There's no blank canvas there. You know, day one you got a you got a fully rocking site uh, just for yeah. that. But that that's largely because it's a it's a framework and it has themes too. So anything that has a theme to it, you'd have that same experience for. You know, install Gatsby. Gatsby's got a bunch of themes. Install you know Eleven D has some nice starter themes like uh, what's what's Andy's. You know the. The Hylia. Hylia, sure. That's a wonderful um, starting place for an 11D thing. It has incredible performance right out of the thing. So now, you know, you're not starting from scratch. You're starting from that. Now, it, I don't know if those are all necessarily Lego blocky. If you're looking for Lego blocks, maybe a, a, a design system thing might work for you. Maybe it's literally Bootstrap. Maybe it's, you know, those are the components. Or maybe it's Ionic or something that has the, you know, that are actual components. If you mm-hmm. like thinking in the component type of thing, you know, look at, look at some of these open source design frameworks. Yeah. And I, I think too, like designs practice like 90% of the time, you know, like you have to make a hundred things to, to start understanding what good design is or, mm-hmm. or like, you know, maybe you already have a good sense of design, you know, copying is always one tried and true way. Oh, hell yeah. Like, like with just I mean, with a heart full of envy too. Like I yeah. love this and I'm just going to copy it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's one site, what a, there's some site recently and they did that like footer is fixed on the bottom and it just reveals or whatever. What is that? That, that. Yeah. It was trick, like a, but, oh no. Okay. It was basically like the footer, like, the curtain goes up and shows the footer at the end of the page or whatever. The page acts like a curtain. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. And immediately I I'm called like, it the slide out that. footer and the site was called the markup, which is the markup.org. It's still a beautiful site. So I just, I saw that and I immediately was like, oh, this is on every page. Like <laughs> I'm doing this. So, but I didn't do it, but um, yeah. yet I'm gonna, <laughs> but, uh, I just, but I didn't do it yet, but you know, um, I think, you know, that's always a good, but don't like steal the design. You know, I think that's, it's tough to like, you, you just steal a design. I ended up not feeling bad about it usually when I do it, because like while you're doing it, you're like, you end up making different choices anyway. You're like, no, right, that makes right, sense, right. you know, I just mean like copy and paste oh, from the CSS right, file right, or right. copy in the HTML and junk it into your site. I mean, I just, you can, that's, there's still like plagiarism is <laughs> still a thing, you know, and, and I think you can kind of discredit yourself. And that's kind of maybe a weak, like academic notion or something, but, but like, it's not yours, like make something that's yours, especially if it's your website or if it's a client's website, you know, like, man, I can't tell you how many times, like 
I've been in the client website and they're like, just copy Apple or whatever. And it's like, uh, you know, well, first of all, we're not just going to copy Apple, but like, what is it about Apple that you like and what can we do to make that, you know, like uh, it, it just, it was that, you know, it just, everyone wants that. Like everyone wants something they saw, you know? And so, so maybe it's like mood boarding, you piece together things you like and kind of come up with something. Um, also figuring out your content, you know, like making post-it notes and writing the blocks on post-it notes and arranging them in a column, like of hierarchy uh-huh. importance. That's huge. Like what's the most important thing? What has to go on the homepage? Oh, a picture of this illustration I made my friend Kyle make me. Cool. That's number one. (laughs) Number two, I probably need to introduce myself because no one knows who I am. That's number two. Number three, my articles. I spent a lot of time doing articles, so I should put articles there. Number four, uh, you know, I'll talk about my side projects. There you go. Number five is a footer. Bingo, bingo, bingo. I'm done. Like, that's it. Like, like now I have the hierarchy established, right? That's a big word, but like what's most important is established via the mobile column. So when I go to my desktop view, the hierarchy should stay the same. And usually hierarchy is bigger is more important. So like, think about that when you're like, if this is truly more important, you make it bigger. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's so good. (laughs) So, so you have to think about that sort of stuff. When you, uh, like, like that's just basic whatever design, but like, if it's important, make it bigger. Like if it's not important, make it smaller, not too small that knowing it's inaccessible, but like, just use size sizes, your friend and, and, you know, and that's where I go back to like drawing boxes on a, on graph paper. You can like really easily, you can, you can erase Pencil marks. Did you know that, Chris? You can just erase them and redo them, and it's changed. And you didn't write any code. And it's Doesn't done. it sound so and simple? Then- it's funny, right? Like just arrange <laughs> it. Just make the important things bigger. It's like when you talk about it, that like it seems like a kindergarten project. Only it's not. It's like a life's pursuit of getting it right. You know, it's so crazy. Yeah, yeah. What is, it's the like that like whatever. It took me twenty years to draw this in five minutes or. Whatever. Yeah, it took me 20 years to know how to draw that line or whatever. <laughs> uh, which is just be- a beautiful. It's, it's a little pretentious, but it's also perfect. You know, I was looking at this slide out footer. I remember I was going to like, oh, let me do a little article about that. That's CSS trickery. And isn't that like my literal job? Uh, and mm-hmm. I and I kind of did it, you know, and looked at how they did it. And they use um, what are called magic numbers. In uh, magic numbers, th- in their case, they're not so magic because they me- they must measure it with JavaScript. Because I see there's an inline style, but imagine how you would you might do a footer like this is that you'd add margin to the bottom of all the main content on the site such that it makes a big gap below it, you know? And then mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. the footer then can go in that gap. But, you know, you don't want to use too many magic numbers. So maybe you just let the footer just be as big as it wants to be. And then in their case, they measure the height of that footer. That's just whatever it is because it might change with, you know, different fonts loading and different 
user styles or whatever, they measure that and then apply that measured height to the margin bottom of the main content. So it's kind of a magic number. You know, I'm looking at their site right now and that margin bottom is 313 pixels applied to an inline attribute on that main content. So it's kind of starting to replicate that. Like, here's how you do with magic numbers. Here's how you measure it. And then I was talking with Shaw about it on Team CodePen and he tried a different technique where instead of position fixed on that footer, you use position sticky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it just works. It's just like no you got to look numbers. at that. Yeah, there's it's a it's a it's a slide out footer technique with zero magic numbers. It's like you always think of position sticky as top sub number, you know, like top zero probably, mm-hmm, but it could be mm-hmm. like top twenty pixels to push it down a little bit. Yeah, you think it's sticking to the top, right? Yeah, but so. there's in this case he's using a bottom zero position sticky, which is really like mind twisty to me how that works, but. <laughs> Those browser people, they thought of everything. Yeah. So, well, that's, yeah. Pretty fun. That was a nice, that was a nice Dave tirade. I really enjoyed that. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Framer, literally framer.com slash shop talk go there to get uh, to sign up for free or to get 20 percent off if you go for any of their paid plans which is super cool thanks framer so good design work you know it should clearly communicate a message the same is true for you a designer you should be clearly communicating a message to who to the people you need to sign off on your design your manager your client your ceo you know so why are you still presenting flat lifeless product ideas put an interactive prototype into the hands of those people and watch their eyes light up and they'll buy into your vision you know it's much more convincing to 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 present an interactive prototype framer is your secret weapon start from scratch or import work from another design tool drag and drop you know uh, 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 build these powerful interactive components, set up transitions, animations, you know, which is like almost expected these days that your app has when it's moving from one page to the next or in one state to another state that it has transitions to get you there. Create your own stunning animations all visually. It's a web app, you know, beautiful for it. Rich, realistic prototyping just became intuitive in Framer. Just take it from Bruno, a product designer at Shutterstock. Framer is an extraordinary resource for rapid prototyping. It has improved our team collaboration by providing an easy way to share the designs between engineers and project managers. Its built-in tools have been essential for quick prototyping and user testing. Oh, how awesome is that? Again, that's framer.com slash shop talk where you can sign up for free or get 20% off any of their paid plans. Uh, hey, so I was going to say, I, I do uh, I have ran my mouth a little too much. I uh, have a correction. I like to issue a correction here. Mm. First correction ever on the shop. <laughs> <show>. <laughs> uh, so the other week, Sierra wrote in and, and asked about like SVGs that are way too big. And like, are they like, you know, I think using a PNG would be better. And we were like, nah, just use the SVG. Literally that day, I started watching a uh a one of those web dev live uh, videos that Google did the other month and in May, I think. And there's a video called image compression, deep dive with uh, Jake and Serma where they say like, you know, sometimes an SVG can be too big uh, and perform worse than a raster image. So uh going to eat my words here. Uh, 
but I think it has to be pretty big or, or pretty complex. So uh, there you go. You can send too much math, but um, just uh, careful there. So anyway, I want to say that. Also, uh, web component people we mortally offended, and we'll we'll <laughs> we'll figure that out uh, as we go. I know. I hate to get right into that right away, but one of the <laughs> there there was some there are some good points a little bit in that in that you know these frameworks that we talk about the like technological buy-in of using a component that's built in different technologies. There is a little bit of like it doesn't matter. There, there are these little two kilobyte, three kilobyte, seven kilobyte libraries. You know, the eyeball of the Mona Lisa when you ship an image is is bigger than that kind of thing. But it's like, mm, okay, let's set that aside for a moment. But the one I always focus on is that like I'm not talking about just using yours. I'm talking about building mine. Like if I build mm-hmm. these, if I use some particular library to start building my, th- it's it, I'm still choosing a technology that has a build process that's that's somewhat at least unique to that framework. That I, like I'm buying into a tool chain when I do that, and to like to say that a web components are you know are just tool agnostic, you know, do whatever you want with them. I, I think is is a little disingenuous, but oh, we can leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I, I said, I guess, correction number two, second correction ever on the Shop Talk show. I said ING Lion, which is their web component system. I was like, oh, you that comes with the whole design system. That is not correct. They have an ING designer. ING. There's a there's there's a skin. So this is the components, and they do have some CSS, but you can override that CSS. And the whole idea with ING Lion is like you – uh, pull down the button and then you extend their button primitive. Okay. So there's web components and then ING lion sits on top of that. And then you build your components on top of that with your styles or whatever. Okay. Um, and, but I, I think I, the thing I, I, I was confused about specifically was like when you open like ING lion button or whatever, and it could be carousel or whatever. It, there's like an import statement at the top that you're like pulling in a bunch of pieces from like Lion Core. And for me, that was sort of like the like, okay, what is Lion Core? I have no idea. You know, like why? Like I'm pulling stuff in, but that's probably you know some accessibility stuff. It's probably some you know just standard event handling kind of behaviors and stuff like that. But again, it's like I have to like learn a system, a separate system. It feels like just to use a button again, like not. Lion is actually pretty good the more I dug into it. and um, But you, you kind of have to learn a separate system. And then somebody had linked me to an article, I think. Um, and and it, it, this is all helpful, but it was an article over on webcomponents.dev, I think. Mm-hmm. But it was just like comparing these like kilobytes of each framework and mm-hmm. or each like web component generator or interface. And, you know, it is, it's like two, three kilobytes and, it does like the cost of like 30 components on a page or something like that estimates that. Um, but I was looking at that and there's like 33 different like web component generator libraries. And they just was like, Whoa, this is like way more than I thought, but that's like, that's where it's starting to get confusing too. Like, you know, if you had to operate or PR or something or blah, you know, like that's, that's a lot to me. I, I do wish they were kind of front runners, but then I've heard the argument like you sh- there should you don't want kingdoms. You don't want kings and uh, in web component land. You know highlanders. You know you don't want like one to rule them all. 
um, which that makes sense too. Like I'm behind that, just like browser diversity, you want web component diversity or something like yeah. framework diversity. But, but I, I just, for me, I think it's like marketing, a marketing problem. Like the discovery of these is very hard. There's a lot of players right now. There's a, and then you go to like the awesome list of, for web components, awesome web components. And there's, you know, a few dozen, like there, there's like a dozen design systems that use frame, web components. There's a dozen web component frameworks that just use web components. There's, you know, dozen or two, three dozen generator things that generate web components. And so that's where I think I just, the, I, the landscape is very messy right now. And so I wish, I, I wish it made more sense. And then I think we had discussed before to the like styling, I think, a better understanding of the landscape is the one thing I want. And then a better understanding of the styling story, how to style effectively. That's important too. Every single, I was, you know, I updated an article this morning on, on styling web components because somebody had written in that said some of the demos didn't work. And the, (laughs) this just reminds me of like some classic jQuery stuff I was using in the components that I was demoing um, the constructor of the web component to do a query selector inside the component to find some of the stuff and all that. And it worked for me because I would run that JavaScript after the web component exists on the page, but not everybody does that. Some people link up their JavaScript in the head and stuff. And when you do that, that's okay with web components. You just can't do it in the constructor. Then you got to do it in the connected callback if you're going to do any dom querying and stuff because otherwise you know the dom's not there yet it doesn't know how to find it It has to use that callback so i updated all the demos to connected callback but i was demoing all the different ways you could style and they just all sucked to (laughs) me i was like i don't like any of these ways to style web components really you know yeah Uh, i know there's different stuff coming and whatever and i admit to some extreme ignorance here because again i don't ship any products with with web components um The biggest ignorant thing to me was I didn't know that they were designed not to be used raw. Mm -hmm. They're designed, they were designed for frameworks to be built on them. That's how you're like, quote unquote, supposed to use web components. And I really did not realize that. I thought the point was to just use them. And I didn't. Yeah. Well, why would you think that? Because everything else is designed just to be used. (laughs) Like, I don't know. That's my thing. Maybe too low level, but here's another yeah. thing that's not used enough. Sam Rowe writes in, "Why isn't there much bigger focus in the web community on using web workers? They certainly have a lot mm-hmm. less APIs available to them than the main thread and are a bit awkward to use. But given how much noise there has been in recent years about JavaScript and web performance in general, I would expect there to be far more tooling, libraries, blog posts, etc., to help people make good use of them." It seems crazy that people have been walking around with eight core phones for years now, but the web still insists on trying to squeeze as much possible performance out of just one of them. Fair enough, Sam. Okay. You're putting, uh, putting JavaScript on blast here. Uh, I, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, there, there's like a lot of JavaScript could be moved into a, a threaded system, but I think it's hard. I don't think people understand that. I don't, you know, that gets into asynchronous code, which is kind of a problem, you know, promises, you know, you, you know, like I actually wrote, I tried to write a framework, like it's a baby framework, but it's basically like you, 
like all the work happens in the worker, you know? And, and so your, your view template, all the logic in your view template, like is basically just calling the worker and saying like, go fetch data, manipulate it and come back to me. It's called worker controller. Don't use it ever. It's just, I'm just playing around, but it's just this idea. Like, can you like, like, I, I just was curious, like how you like, I don't know how you like make this happen. Mm-hmm. And, I I liked it though. It was very efficient. Um, but you know how you get it all to play with like a router and stuff like that, because what's weird is like, you're not just, you, you have to reference a specific file, you know? And, and so like you, you have to be like new worker, you know, open quote, my com slash worker JS or, you know, worker number one JS or whatever. So that's, that's hard. I wish you could almost write workers in line and then they get like split out and then you, you know, wouldn't that be cool? But, and I think, uh, Surma from Google has this thing called Comlink. Yeah. That was like his life's mission for a while. Right. I was telling, telling people exactly this, like you got to start using web workers, people, my gosh, they're amazing for performance. Yeah. If you go to uh what is their so shoot supercharged, was that a uh, sermon? Uh, uh, Paul Lewis, um, uh, they would they would do that, you know. Try to like make these these things work. So anyway, I just don't. I I get the concept. You can start up a new JavaScript thread, and you can talk to it, and you can make that web worker do jobs for you. And if jobs are they're they're like basically if they're not UI related, if they don't need to be done as fast as absolutely possible, because that's a performance thing too. You want sometimes you want JavaScript doing things as fast as possible. Uh, and I know web workers are, are fast, but by nature they're async, as you're right. Like you need to like mm-hmm. give it a job and then wait for it to finish the job and then give it back. I just don't. I can't think of a million things where that's useful for. But that's just my own ignorance. I'm sure there's plenty of things, but like it's almost like I wish just like I don't know. I wish React would just do it if it knew it could use it or something. I almost want my tools to to just know when to use a worker and when not to, and then do it for me. Cause my brain is striking out on times to use it. Yeah. You know, so I've used them in a few times in my life here, uh, on that little experiment, um, on the Paravel Inc homepage. Um, if you go to that, like there's a big image and I did made this thing called color cycling. Like it's like an old Atari, you know, uh, or not Atari, but, or maybe Atari, but like, uh, Neo Geo, if you remember that, those old fighting games or whatever, like they would kind of do this into their background images and they'd cycle colors. So they're like, oh, change this blue, make the all the blues go from blue, white, green, blue, white, green, and it makes like water cascade and fall. Um, so I'm doing that on my homepage on De- or, uh, Paravel Inc. And uh, I, you know, if I do that in the main thread, it does not like that. And so I'm using it for like a fire effect. So I'm manipulating pixels on this canvas on this. Oh, it's canvas JPEG. Okay. I'm using, yeah, I had to render it all in canvas. And so like I, so I'm sending, I'm making the worker do all the calculation and then, then it posts data back to the main thread and the main thread just paints the canvas. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah. That's like, a great use case. That seems good. And so I got a lot of performance by moving it out to a worker. There's still work to do. Like it's all kind of eight bit, like, but you know, I was kind of actually trying to hit like a four <laughs> frames per second. Cause that's like kind of more what like eight bit games would do. But, um, so when you're doing like intense calculations, that's a great place, but really like anytime you're using an async function, 
you could actually be spinning that out to a worker. Oh, see, there you go. That's a good way to think about it. If you're using async, it could be a worker. You know, you think of your standard file, JavaScript file, where you wrote an async function. It's usually like one out of 10 functions that you're like, oh, I should make this one async, you know, or something like that. Yeah, I'm still experience. not even at that moment, but I had it the other day because I was on this little open source project and uh, I submitted a PR for it. And so the idea was that like in this in this game, messages from the network come across the wire. So there's like a chat room, right? And mm-hmm. a new chat message arrives. Cool. That's fine. And the, it was working fine. It's a perfectly working feature in this product. But you know, sometimes I'm developing on the product, I'll just hit command R and refresh the page, you know? And when I did that, then all the chat history was gone because it doesn't, mm. it didn't save them. So I was like, let's save them. Let's persist those chat messages in some kind of store. And there's a million options for that, but it happened to be an Electron app and Electron has this project called Electron Store that looks pretty good for it. And we were already using it for some other stuff. So I just chucked the stuff in Electron Store. And then when you load the page for the first time, yank them back out and try to do it performantly. Like don't store 10 million messages in there. Like have a have a cap to how many that you're willing to render on the page and store and, and all that stuff. And then I submitted the PR and the, the leader of the project was kind of like, this is pretty good proof of concept, but let's not keep them in the store. Let's keep them in a flat file for some reason. I don't even know why. But also the most important thing is make sure that all of the writing to it, pulling from it, rendering it to the page, they're all async functions. Because they're not critical to the game. Like, doesn't matter if it takes a second for a chat message to arrive. Who cares, you know? Yeah, so, like, if you click a button to the settings button, you want the modal to fly up or whatever. Like, that's critical to the UI. But, like, clicking the chat button you want to see the chat that's critical but like getting when the messages show up that's not critical that's right so right 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 so i didn't you know I, it might be the first async function i written in my life but it was on a class so i just put async in front of the class in front of the function name <laughs> that was my see, solution so far <laughs> is that good enough that's that's my thing yeah it's like like i'm just gonna type Async here? <laughs> question mark. <laughs> and that does it. They should. There should be async question mark. That should be a native yeah. JavaScript it's, thing. It's like eh, make it async if if you if you can if you can. Yeah. If it did doesn't do anything, that's fine. I'm cool. I don't, don't worry about me. I just yeah. I just wanted to use a wait here. That's kind of didn't want to write a promise. Yeah. That's like my. I was I was helping uh, Raymond Candon. Um, He's a, a very talented guy. Does a lot of view stuff, but he's like migrating an old project. And he was like, "I'm having a problem. Like, I push it to 11D to Netlify, and it's bombing out." And I was like, "11D and Netlify, I know those things. Um, <laughs> I'll help. I know I'll help." And uh, like, it just was never 11D was never exiting. And it turned out he was like in a. Uh, he, he was fetching data, like getting data from a data source using Mongo. And uh, he had some async functions. And I just was like, ooh, this maybe is like the one place it could be going bad. So I like commented out the file, ran it. It worked. And so I was like, okay, okay, let me go in here and see what's going on. And, he, you know, it was like he opened a connection to the Mongo, but it never got closed, which is honest mistake. And if you're running like a node app, you never close the connection to the database. But like, 
But when you're running like a serverless app or a static app, you can't just keep the connection open, right? So I w- it was found the bug, I guess, but we, it was very interesting because it was just like, you know, just this idea like, okay, I can type like client.close to close the Mongo client, but I bet I actually have to type await client.close because I bet it's some kind of promise that has to resolve and then it comes back. So it was, you know, few tricks there, man. Async is tricky, I guess is what I want to say. So I don't know how we got onto this question. I forget, but I'm still not seeing questions in the thing. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think anytime you're using a web worker or async, you could try a worker, but that's muscle memory. And I don't do async every single day of my life. I do a lot more boring. I'm way more on the UI side of things. So, and that's typically where you want main thread, you know, is a sir. I guess a web worker, you know, like let's say you had like a a big like a like a one megabyte JavaScript file or something that took requests and processed them and returned them. That's like a big you'd you'd probably like not load that in any kind of critical path. But let's say you know you detect the network is fast or is, you know the user's idle or something. You grab that one megabyte JavaScript file off the server and you chuck it in a service worker instead or something. Because then you're mm-hmm. like, oh, that'd be cool. Because then you know, or or as a web worker, I guess, but a service worker seems better because it will hang out. Then it'll like stay. Can a web worker then hit a service worker? I guess why not? Of course it could, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you could preload all those too. What's interesting too is like serverless, you know, functions. Those are basically workers too. You know, like you're you're saying I'm going to do all this work, but I'm going to not do it in a thread on the main thread or on a separate thread, I'm going to do it on the server and it's going to come back to me with the answer. Like you could do, that's a, I don't know, as good as workers are like serverless could also be good. Like, because that's just a function that runs, you know? So if that helps you think about it too, like serverless and web workers are all in, in async functions are all kind of the same technology. It's stuff that happens later, you know, but is it on your computer? Is it on the main thread? Is it at the it edge? You never at know. At the edge. Yeah. So. yeah, we we had, you know, I think on CodePen as I speak right now, we have one preprocessor that runs um, locally if it can. We try to do that mm-hmm. technique where we'll, in its Babel, we'll try to, we run a lo- local copy on your machine of Babel without you even knowing okay. it. If it's not ready, that's okay. It'll just go up to the serverless function to do it. Uh, but if it is ready, it'll use it. I think we're going to tear it down, not because it's not a good idea, but because it's a one-off in the app, and that mm. it adds some about complexity to the rendering pipeline. That that it's like, oh, if it just wasn't for this one, everything would just be consistent. Everything would be treated the same way. And I think that's cool. At least we proved it out. Like I'd rather ha- do them all of them that way or none of them that way, you know, rather than one. Yeah, every it should be whatever. You don't want one-offs, like yeah. ideally. So, well, that was fun. I guess we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll leave it at that, huh? Yeah, we can wrap it. I think if we start another question, we'll be uh, ten miles down the road. So <laughs> we should uh, stop it here. But thanks uh, everybody for listening. Thanks for giving us feedback too. I really like. I mean, I'm sure we uh, we usually get everything right. So, uh, but we, you know, if you ever hear us say one tiny thing wrong please let us know um but we we appreciate that uh and uh you know 
Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show. That's the best place to uh, reach us or correct us. Uh, if you hate your job, here at shoptalkshow.com slash jobs and get a brand new one because people want to hire people like you. And Chris, do you have anything else you'd like mm. to say? Shoptalkshow.com. <laughs>